Hello and welcome to another podcast of Father and Joe. I'm Joe Rocky here with Father Boniface Hicks. And Father, as I'd mentioned a little bit back that I had been reading the United States Catechism for Adults and also simultaneously I had been thinking about assumptions that had been left in me from childhood and these two kind of thoughts had been going at each other and I realized that something that I used to agree with that the church taught me in the catechism that they did not agree with um, have now conflated. Like, like when, as I reviewed the assumptions I made as a child, I got to the same conclusion that the catechism had, uh, but for very different reasons. So I want to first talk about the topic which got me there, um, which is the death penalty and the way it's administered in the United States and the assumptions that I had as a child building into it versus looking at it as adult. Um, so I wanted to talk about that as its own standalone topic, but I also wanted to talk about the concept that even though I got to the same conclusion, the reasoning and how I got there, it's different and to see basically how the church would look at that. So, to begin with the assumptions of where I came from growing up, that basically thinking that the death penalty made sense. And here effectively was my logic. Growing up, um, the powers that be started with my parents and then eventually, you know, school teachers that give out detentions and stuff like that. They gave out essentially punishment that fit the crime. So I did something wrong. I got put time out. I got put in detention. I got you know suspended from practice. You know whatever the case may be. At the time, it seemed like okay, those punishments seem like they make sense. The school's running right. Our family's not in chaos. So there's somewhere an inherent need for discipline. So I had that, and my whole thought growing up was you know I'm a little kid dash high schooler at the time thinking that, well, this is just, the death penalty is just society's way of saying you did something wrong, you did the ultimate thing wrong, and this is the penalty for it. So that was kind of my underlying assumption. And then as I kind of grew older, um, I started reading books about John Paul II, and the way John Paul II lived his life was through the communists, through in communist occupation in Poland. And he would write about how people were disappearing and then ultimately be put to death for things that were not wrong, for things that were just not what the communists wanted to hear. And I had this thought in my head where I was like, all right, that's really what dictators do. That will never really happen here in America. But then as I woke up and look and see the fact that California is still under executive power, executive emergency orders over COVID, despite the fact that there's no real cause and they just want to have control. And I look to see this is exactly what Lenin did. It's exactly what Castro did. It's exactly what Hitler did. And then ultimately we saw the regimes that they made. So America can do the starting points. And that made me really look into what John Paul II had written, saying that man can be evil. They should fundamentally not have this power to kill someone because of the arbitrary laws that they create. I'm paraphrasing what he wrote, uh, but that, that's what he wrote, essentially. And 
that line of conclusion, I get there basically because I lost faith in the powers that be, um, particularly here in America. Um, not necessarily because I think that the core concept of having a deterrent that's saying that you do something horrendous to society doesn't warrant a death penalty. It's more so that I don't trust the people who would be making that decision. I still get to the same the same answer that I don't think the death penalty should be administered, but you can see that I'm coming here from a very different answer that the church has, which, in our, at least in the catechism, the American catechism is articulated that under the, the section about life, that life is 100% sacred from conception until natural death. And for the rest of that component, I completely agree with abortion's bad, euthanasia is bad. But in this case, my mindset was the baby didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do anything to justify that action. The murderer did do something wrong. And therefore, you can make the argument that that is the the punishment for the crime. So that I wanted to set that up that that was my original mindset thinking. Um, I'm assuming that I am not the only person who has gone down that thought pattern before about how they justified and in, in, in the the death penalty in the first place. And uh, I just kind of wanted to have that macro conversation about what the church teaches about the death penalty and the fact that on a larger sense, getting to the right answer, but the wrong way, how, how we look at that and how that, that should be viewed. Um, there's a lot there that's, um, and I think you're right in terms of your reasoning, probably being uh, closer to the reasoning of a lot of people than mine is at this point, having been formed in moral theology and the church's teaching, etc. So that's really useful to hear you uh, explain the thought process that um, uh, how you how you work through those things, how you conceive of them. Um, there's a there's a whole question, first of all, about what the purpose of penalty is or of sentencing is for a crime. And that's where I think you'd find already some divergence between American ideas and the church's ideas in terms of applying an appropriate uh, sentence for a crime. We, we have this sense of, uh, of, of justice that, you know, you heard me, it's sort of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but that's, that's not really what we uh, appeal to as Christians. Uh, so that, that sense of punitive justice is uh too reductive for the church. And uh, I'm speaking a little bit hesitantly and carefully because I haven't thoroughly studied these areas. And uh, I've thought through some of the particular things in terms of the death penalty, but I don't want to overstate the the church's position on some of that. But uh, certainly as Christians, we work for sentencing that's also remedial. We, We believe that Every person is made in the image and likeness of God, that dignity is not lost by committing a crime, and that every person is made for heaven. And so what is the measure that we can take that will, and there are multiple goods at work, uh, but without diminishing any of the goods, trying to maximize all of them, that we look at the individual good of bringing about conversion in the individual in order to root out vice and to cultivate virtue. 
how do we bring about the kind of conversion that opens someone to the grace of salvation and even helps them on their path to becoming a saint. Uh, so we ideally would take into account the good of the individual in applying a sentence. Uh, secondly, we have to look at the good of society, the common good, and uh, where there where there can be a deterrent uh, because of, of punishment, uh, there is a value for the common good. Also, where there is reparation, someone has to pay damages that were committed, uh, where there is some sense of, of vindication for a crime that has been committed. Um, you know, so there are some dimensions of the common good that are also held in tension. And the, the death penalty from the church's thinking, of course, uh, could, can uh, hold on to these various things, namely uh, the good for uh, a deterrent, although statistics have shown that it doesn't really deter crime. It hasn't really served that purpose, at least in the modern world. Maybe it did in the past. Um, you know, Maybe it does in some circumstances. But anyway, as a deterrent for crime to protect society, uh, then also in terms of the individual, uh, I suppose being on death row could cultivate conversion. And so uh, certainly there are death row converts. And so one might make that argument. Um, and, and then also in terms of the deterrent, when you have someone like Saddam Hussein, who uh, keeping him in jail could actually create more crime because there are enough fanatical devote, devotees that they could continually try to spring him loose and even create wars in order to do that. And so to protect the common good, uh, the, the death penalty is intended to eliminate the possibility of that kind of uh, behavior, that kind of retribution, holding someone in, in prison. And I, I think you see, I don't know the truth of them, but you know, on things like mafia movies where you have guys in jail who are still basically running the mafia ring through the limited communications that they have. And so uh, one could argue that the merely detaining someone doesn't sufficiently protect society or uh, remedy the evil that that person is still capable of doing, even from that position, that it would only be ending their life that would really stop the evil. So that's the kind of rationale the rationale that you're giving about the power not being uh, placed in the hands of those who could become corrupt, um, to use that rationale, you'd have to eliminate just about everything. Uh, so we definitely would have to get rid of guns, tanks, bombs, uh, planes, and a lot of other things. You, if, if we can't trust authority to use power appropriately, uh, if we're always going to eliminate power because it can become corrupt, then we just have to eliminate all power. And, and simply uh, imposing a sort of external standard of not having the death penalty, if there are corrupt operators, they'll find ways to do it covertly, if not overtly. So I don't think you can really, that's, that's such a viable option, although I appreciate that that's a, you know, a reasoning process that helped you to reconcile that, well, it's that it's an extreme power. It's one way of seeing like, yeah, if you if you can allow this kind of power, then you can really take it to some bad places. And in some cases, you get some crazy conspiracy theories that uh, overdo that kind of uh, reasoning process. But there's there's something very real there as well. So to to circle back around, uh, what has happened in the Catholic Church, and uh, the thing to look up would be uh, that 
the rescript in 2018, Pope Francis changed the catechism in terms of the church's teaching on the death penalty. Uh, that is to say, the death penalty, the teaching on the death penalty has developed, and he is acknowledging the development. He is, doesn't have the authority to change the church's teaching, but uh, the way that she expresses her teaching and the refinement of that teaching, already begun by John Paul II in the Gospel of Life, Evangelii, uh, Evangelium Vitae, he said that the death penalty is theoretically possible. And so uh, uh, a theologian like St. Thomas Aquinas makes an argument for why the death penalty, and I, I gave examples of how, uh, could be an admissible response to a grave crime. And I thought, I really saw it in particular in someone like Saddam Hussein that, uh, you know, if you captured him and kept him in prison, uh, there would still be a grave threat to society. It's even more obvious in maybe the Middle Ages where you didn't have the capacity to detain a violent criminal. You know, I mean, if you think of somebody who's really capable of, of uh, just, you know, a mass murderer is the kind of obvious example who is going to escape, who is going to kill more people, who is going to do more damage to himself and others. And, and we just, when we didn't have the capacity to detain someone like that, then the death penalty was an appropriate uh, response in order to protect society from that kind of person. So again, think of the best case scenario. Your point about it being used corruptly, of course, is uh, you know, I mean, we can always have that kind of uh, realistic, but uh, also potentially cynical response to authority being corruptible. But uh, in the best circumstance, you know, a, a, a saint king says, with this person, I cannot possibly prevent them from killing people again. And so uh, it would be better to end their life than to let them be on the loose or potentially on the loose because we can't detain them. So that's the the sort of just use of the death penalty and, and why it has persisted through the ages. Pope John Paul made the observation in Evangelium, uh, Evangelium Vitae, let's get the right Latin uh, declension there, uh, that in our world, uh, certainly in any first world countries, now one could say maybe there's a place in, in uh, Africa or Asia, South America, or you know a place that doesn't have sufficient infrastructure to actually detain someone. You can think of a, a country in the middle of civil war or uh, just a, with, with too much breakdown of official structures. And so they couldn't actually contain the person. But in any first world country, we have detainment that is trustworthy and can prevent the person from doing additional damage. And so uh, there's no place, he already said in Evangelium Vitae, there's no place for the death penalty in any of our first world countries today. And uh, Pope Francis just took that the next step and said, uh, well, there just isn't a place for it anywhere. And I can, I can read for you uh, the, the, the section that explains some of this. Uh, so he revised paragraph 2267 of the catechism to say, recourse to the death penalty on the part of legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. So that's the explanation I just gave you. Today, however, he says, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the person is not lost even after the commission of very serious crimes. 
In addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal actions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Consequently, the church teaches in the light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person. And she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. And so Pope Francis is saying, this is, this is where we are now in the modern world. The, the, some of the things that made it possible in the past are just not conditions of the present. And there's a growing sense of the dignity of the person and, and also some limits of the state in imposing uh, penal sanctions that give us a different perspective on this. And so um, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a challenge uh, in our modern day where, you know, um, then just to say a, a last word, and this would be along the lines of what you were saying earlier about the corruptibility of the state. And that's one of the regular protests in the United States that it seems uh, there is discrimination at work. Um, more Black people are convicted or sentenced to the death penalty than white people for the same crimes. I, I haven't studied this extensively. I hope I'm not treading on someone's territory by uh, being too simplistic, but I'm pretty sure that those those stats are correct. Um, and and so just you know, and uh, also in terms of a fair trial, uh, do we, are we really absolutely confident? Uh, and then if we left somebody on death row another year, would they actually convert and have redemption? You know, so these are the kinds of things that, that make us say, we're not, we need to be humble about our own capacity to administer such a severe crime. And so we should limit ourselves knowing our own weakness. And that goes closer to what you were saying a little earlier, Joe, that this is a, this is a power that can so easily be misused and has such grave consequences that we would be better off without it. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, studying history, I, I really didn't think that we would see this kind of thing here in America. And it, it is pretty unabashed happening in one of our biggest states. Um, and it's, it's, it's scary. Not, not saying it'll necessarily end up the same way as, as that, but that's just certainly how, like I said, Lenin Stalin started. Um, so, as you were reading the 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 passage there that the Pope adjusted, it actually made me realize that I had another underlying assumption that I had just assumed as a fact, and, and the Pope just told me I was wrong, and that was the assumption that if you would bring yourself to create this heinous of a crime, that essentially in my head you'd be beyond repair, like you would just be permanently broken and what the Pope just said was that assumption is fundamentally wrong. Um, like once again, the adult mind is finding out the things I thought as a, as a child and teenager are incorrect. Um, it's amazing how often that happened as I was doing this process of, of, of thinking things through. But to me, I think that that's something that's, uh, that, that, that's remarkable. So uh, as we conclude this, this episode here, as we, we only have a couple of minutes left, um, I did want, so I, I think you did a very good job of explaining why the church takes a stance on death penalty. Um, I, I did want to just kind of touch upon the fact that I recognize the fact that I got to the same answer as the church, but I got there for a very different reason. 
how does the church kind of address situations like that? Or is it just happy that, hey, you finally got to the right answer. Cool. Or is it, well, you really need to sit down and get to the right methodology or, you know, it's like a math problem. Yeah, you got the answer was five, but because you did it completely wrong, you're not going to get it right the next time when the answer is going to be seven. Yeah, that's exactly right. So if you uh, if you thought, for example, that, um, you know, two plus two just happens to equal two times two, and therefore they're always equal, um, you know, you're going to end up with two times three not being the same as two plus three. And you're going to get other answers wrong. So it is important to get the right logic because you might be in a, a position where you have a, a saint king who also shouldn't use the death penalty because it's not a matter of the corruptibility of the state. It's a matter of uh, more fundamental principles of, of giving people more time to repent and finding other ways that are less violent. It also is, is pedagogically bad. Because uh, it tells us that, you know, it justifies this kind of killing. And we, we learn messages from that. There's a teaching dimension to it as well. But uh, the point being, if, you know, if you had a provably uh, holy state, it still is inadmissible. And so the, the reasoning would lead us in a, in a wrong direction. Um, having said that, uh, well, and also, I mean, you, you picked up another point from this, which is, the, the redeemability of everyone. You can think of the good thief, of course. He was sentenced to death for a heinous crime. We can presume, you know, it was a legitimate death sentence and he was redeemable. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And that applies to uh, all those who would be convicted of um, capital crimes, that everyone is redeemable. Until the last breath, there's still room for us to become saints. And what a beautiful thought for us to end on and and to move into the next week. So we thank everyone for listening, and we will be with you again next week.